0: Good morning again as we as we gather together as the body of Christ I sometimes wonder if we are conscious of the miracle that is happening if we're aware of what it is that's happening both in the spiritual realm but also in the natural that the way God has created us and designed us is to be this interconnected interdependent body family building where he is creating really the foundation of everything that we are, but that we get to express and manifest the glory, the creativity, the splendor of God in various and different ways as we gather. You know, you think about the fact that right now, there are people gathering uh, to worship the Lord. And I would say all over the world, but you know, there's different time zones. (laughs) But this day, there's people gathering all over the world to, get, to praise the Lord, to worship Him, to gather as the body of Christ. And we're all doing it a little different. Some of us very different from one another. We worship Him in different languages, with different styles of music. Some use instruments, some don't. Some use organs. Some, it's very different types of ways that we worship the Lord. We have uh, readings that we're reading, or it's all free form. Uh, some are somewhat somber, some are ecstatic with dancing and shouting and whooping and hollering. <laughs> and yet God has called us all to be one people. All of us. And what does that mean to be the people of God? And so today as we look at this concept of group identity, which is, I admit, a very bland way of talking about the body of Christ. To me, when I, when I think of the phrase group identity... Uh, It conjures up a lot of uh, ideas for me, and I imagine it does for you. And so what we want to do today is kind of explore what does it mean to have a group identity, and what does it mean specifically to be this group, the body of Christ? What does it mean that that Jesus is our head and that we are his body? What does it mean that we're a family? And again, I do wonder, because I know for myself, sometimes I come here and I'm thinking about a program that needs to be accomplished, right? And, you know, Beth, imagine, feels a lot of that, and others who are kind of working up front and behind the scenes, we think of that. And when you just come to church, you're probably not thinking of putting on a program, but you're probably thinking about what will be the program today. What songs are we going to sing? What's the sermon going to be about? Uh, what other things might we do today? And, of course, we mixed it up a little bit this morning with some of our with our um, reading, This this wonderful... Uh, It's really a daily liturgy that uh, Sonia and I came across, and and I'm going to talk about it a little bit in a moment. But, you know, what does it mean that that this is who we are, that we're this body? And so I want to talk about a couple of things first that we don't mean, because in our world today, there's a lot of ideas about how we define ourselves as part of a group that might potentially lead us in a different direction from what god might have for us and so you know as we talk about group identity this question is how do we define ourselves and i don't just mean how do i define myself so let's just start right there i'm not talking about some individual thing there is a there is a sense in which you will define yourself a particular way but how do we define ourselves and there, I think in, in this country, is, I know you didn't all grow up here, you're not, you, didn't all, uh, you weren't all raised in this culture, but I know that for a lot of us in this country, there is this sense of my primary identity is my individual identity, that if I, if I were to distill who I am, first and foremost, I'm me. Can you relate to that at all? And we have this uh, mythology of the rugged individualist in the America's. You know, people who, who came here and hacked a, hacked a life out of a wilderness with no help from anyone, just by, you know, the, the sweat of their brow and the blood flowing from their veins when they work hard and, and just, you know, do whatever it takes to survive. But, you know, that image, it truly is a, it, it is a myth. It's not an accurate image of what it was like. You know, right now in our... Family, We're studying U.S. history this year in our homeschool, and we have another family that we're studying with, and I get to the privilege of teaching that class, this U.S. history course, and I'm loving it. It's, it's great to kind of go back and be reminded, where do we come from as a country? And one of the things that is clear over and over and over again is that this, this nation exists not because people were rugged individualists, but because they were deeply committed to one another, and so if you are a student of history or if you remember anything about those uh, pilgrims coming over on the Mayflower, I don't know if you're aware of this, but those pilgrims were supposed to land in Virginia, but they ended up all the way up here in rugged, cold New England. And the reality is when they arrived here, there was no structure of or organization of society for them. Because there was a charter for Virginia, but there was no charter yet for Massachusetts. It hadn't happened. This is 10 years before there was a charter for the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So what they did is they said, we need to devise a way of governing ourselves. And so they had this Mayflower Compact. You ever heard of the Mayflower Compact? And in the Mayflower Compact, what they say is, we need to find a way to cooperate and work together so that we can have... Success here in this new place. And if we don't, we'll be fighting, we'll be cheating each other, you know, all sorts of things could happen. So we need to have a common agreement of who we are so that we'll know how to act together. And that's what the Mayflower Compact was. That's what all of these charters, founding documents, whether it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, These are documents that say, this is who we are, and so this is how we'll act. That's their purpose. And so this idea that America was founded on this individualistic perspective, it's just not, it doesn't hold water. We've always been a people who were committed to one another and working together on some level to achieve what was achieved. And there was always conflict, right? People can argue in a group, in fact, if you don't have a group, you can't argue. How fun is that? So if you want to have discussion, if you want to have debate, you need other people with different ideas and different views, but you also need a common understanding of how you will come to conclusions and how you'll resolve problems, or else your debate is meaningless. I think we're actually seeing some of that in our culture today because we're seeing increasingly that people have, in, our, in this country, there, there's a divide between who we are and how we then act. We have a divide over how we will resolve problems, how we will determine a course of action, and that's creating a lot of conflict and a lot of angst in our culture and society right now. Do you see that going on? Part of what it is is we don't necessarily have a common identity anymore, uh, at least not as with a large enough majority that we used to. So there are, there are people who have this individualistic perspective of life. And it plays out in all sorts of ways. I was talking to Sonia yesterday, and she said, well, you know how when you, and you know when it starts like that, you know, like the good examples are coming, right? <laughs> you know how when you will, you know, uh, go to work and then, you know, and go off and you don't tell me where you're going? That's an example. I'm like, oh, okay, I can take that. And she's like, and you know how you, and then there was like a long list, and I was like, wow, I really need this sermon because apparently I'm way too individualistic. And she was saying, and it was really interesting because she was saying growing up in Puerto Rico, it wasn't like that. I didn't see that a lot, but I see it a lot here. And so that's where that outside perspective, it can be helpful, you know, because we miss things when we live in the, breathe that culture. It's hard to see how it impacts us. But I think what God says to us primarily is that we are not, and this doesn't erase our individuality, but we are not first and foremost isolated individual beings. We were made by someone, and that someone placed us into a community. And it even begins before we come to faith. All humans are part of this human community. There's a passage in the Bible that says, all the names of earth come from the Father but particularly those of us who are believers. And so this idea of being alone and isolated is not our primary identity. But there's another type of perspective that says, well, we're all just this massive glob of humanity without any distinctions. We're just, we're just the sum of our circumstances and our, and our history. And we're just a, a great big jumble of cause and effect of just being in this mass of, of people on the planet we call Earth. But I think that's not really what we're talking about either. We're not, this is kind of the idea of being lost into the sea of humanity. And taken to an extreme, you have things like in, in Buddhism, where the ultimate goal of Buddhism is to reach enlightenment and then be, in a sense, dissolved into the nothingness or into the the uh, the ether. And that you just become one with the universe, but you lose all individuality. You are not a distinct person. But God says, no, I I knit you in your mother's womb. I I had my eyes on you before you were born. You are an individual. And so there's these contrasting and in ways competing uh, realities that we are both communal, but also individual. Now, what does it mean to be communal, though? because what we see in our world today is a lot of people are pushing for us to identify primarily by some characteristic that we have so we're going to identify first and foremost by our race or we're going to identify first and foremost by our class or we're going to identify first and foremost by our level of education or by our gender or by our you know our sexual identity you know, and these things become primary. And there is a, you're probably familiar with this concept, whether you know the words or not, but this idea of, from critical theory, we talk about critical race theory, postmodern critical theory, these, these big ideas that have become very dominant and prominent in our society today, which basically says this, there are different groups of people and those people are always competing with one another for power and so how you interact with people is always an attempt to exert authority and power over them. And so there are some people who are oppressors and there are some people who are victims. And the victims, by definition, need to rise up against their oppressors. Now, I think that critical theory actually has some good, uh, good things to say, good observations about the world we're in. I think a lot of times different groups of people are exerting power over others there are people who are oppressed and there are victims but the challenge is that the gospel says that that's not our ultimate identity and the ultimate reality is not that we're always competing but that God is drawing us into union with one another across different racial divides across gender divides across you know uh, whatever whatever it is type of thing that could distinguish you from someone else in fact, when you think about the ultimate surprise of the gospel, you know, we live 2,000 years later. It's, it's hard for us even to think that this would be a surprise. But the ultimate surprise of the gospel was that Gentiles could come to faith and could have relationship with God without becoming Jewish first. This was shocking. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus broke down the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, so the Gentiles is just anyone who's not Jewish. So talk about, uh, talk about a divide in the world. You have one class of people called Jew, and they have relationship with God, and one class of people called Gentile, who's everyone else, and they can have no relationship with God. And Jesus says, we're, we're breaking down that wall. We're breaking down the dividing wall. And it, but here's the thing. It doesn't mean that Jews and Gentiles no longer exist. It just means that their relationship with one another is fundamentally changed through the gospel. So if God can break down that divide, then there's no divide in society that he can't break down. So we can gather here today with different ethnic and racial backgrounds and we can worship God together. We can gather here today with different socioeconomic and educational backgrounds and we can worship together we can gather here today as different genders. And hopefully, no one's oppressing you in your seat today because you're a different gender, because we're, we're united in Christ together. And it's this different kind of relationship. But we see that a lot of the turmoil in our world today is a direct result of people using this beautiful reality that God created of our group identity, of community, of, of union, of bringing together of different types of people, And they're using it to destroy and to tear down. But God intended it to build up. But that's something that Satan's always doing, right? So it doesn't matter what the the topic is. Satan always takes a beautiful thing that God created and he distorts it and he manipulates it and he perverts it to use it for some negative end. So I say as a believer, let us absolutely honor all these different groups and let us recognize Uh, these different uh, types of people, if you will, of all different kinds. And let us be alert to the ways that different groups of people are not living out the gospel mandate to be united in Christ. So that's where we can use this critical theory as a tool, but it doesn't determine for us what ultimately is true about all these different groups. Do you see the difference? By the way, sometimes we let our political leanings determine who our group is. I mean, we're seeing that on display big time right now, aren't we? Especially in election season, then sometimes uh, it seems like the primary identity that someone has is either as a Democrat or Republican. And what happens is, uh, we didn't talk about this a moment ago, but this is really one of the challenges of identifying with a group like this is that what happens is that these groups then can, in a sense, they can dominate you and control you as a member of the group. It's not just groups dominating one another. It's that you have to toe the line in the group in order to be still accepted by the group. So for example, in politics, uh, you know, we've seen this happen where where you've got a, a political figure of one party and someone else in their party critiques them and they get jumped on and blasted. How dare you critique someone in your own party? Well, what if someone in your own party is wrong? <laughs> Shouldn't you critique them? No, you can't because the party's aim is to win the election. And any critique is a threat to winning. And so as you, as you insert yourself willingly into that group, then you become bound by the aims and goals of that group. You know, I was thinking of George Washington and his, his um, the speech that he made as he was leaving office. So you know, after we had our the Constitution was ratified. George Washington was the first president of this new experiment because before that there were other presidents with other, uh, you know, we had the uh, the different charter. But with the Constitution, George Washington, first president, he was a hero from the Revolutionary War. He was overwhelmingly voted into the office, and he served for two terms. And at that time, there was no limit on how many terms a president could serve, but George Washington decided two is enough, and he set this beautiful precedent in our country to prevent himself from being ensconced into this position of power. He willingly stepped away from it. And as part of his farewell address, he said this. It's really insightful. He says, However combinations or associations of political parties may now and then answer popular ends. So he says, yeah, I understand why there are political parties because they help us achieve certain things. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which had lifted them to unjust dominion. Do you hear what he's saying? It's kind of like a little bit archaic language there. He's saying, you know, there are people who are going to take advantage of the parties to get themselves in power and take control and then destroy what got them there in the first place. He said, party loyalty serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. he's saying is when you have these parties competing against each other, it creates a type of strife and a type of animosity that need not be there. You know, when he was elected president, there were no parties. So he didn't he didn't have to uh, tow a party line. He didn't, he didn't have to build a coalition. He was just elected by the people. And then he served in all of their interests to the best he could. He was not perfect. He failed. But it was just a different perspective on the role and function of political uh, candidates and, and political leaders. Do you see how some of those things have absolutely come true? And we're dealing with some of that right now. So these clearly cannot be what God has in mind when he talks about us being this group with a firm identity. He can't be talking about things that divide and tear down. He's got to be talking about something else. And you know, what he he basically is saying is is that whether it's a good group or not, whether it's a good group, party a good identity a good collection of people or a bad one who you belong to will have a direct impact on how you think and act it's just true that's the way god designed it so if we let ourselves be uh, lured in by any type of group that is not one that is honoring to the lord or has aims contrary to christ we will be sucked into that and friends let me just put it out there on the table All of us have these identities that are not of Christ. All of us. It's impossible to escape it. You will find yourself at one time being pulled or drawn or tugged by a group that you're a part of to do something that is contrary to Christ. And I will say this. Even some of these groups look like the church. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a difference between the Church of Jesus Christ, this capital C reality of, of the people of God in the world, and a denomination and a local body, and a theological perspective and a and you go down the list. So sometimes we say like, "Oh, uh, I'm evangelical," or "I'm reformed," or "I'm charismatic," or "I'm, you know whatever, you, whatever the, the thing that you feel you are. And that can be a source of division and animosity. And it can be a source of conflict instead of a a uniting reality. And, you know, Paul talks about this in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, some of you follow Peter. Some of you follow Paul. Some of you follow uh, Apollos. But really, we all need to follow Christ. And so if our identity as a people is not found in the person of Jesus Christ... Any other identity that we can attach ourselves to will lead us away from the ultimate aims of God's good for us and for the world. Do you see the power of this? So it's one thing to say, uh, and and hopefully you've been reading along in the other half of church and you read this chapter, it's one thing to simply say, hey, we need to build a strong community identity in order to grow in Christ. But we also need to say, and we need to actively work against these other tugs and pulls that draw us away from Christ. Because I imagine when we're being honest, there's all sorts of groups that we identify with. Now, now let me, I do want to say this very quickly, and then we're going to kind of move into the bulk of where we're going today. It's the long introduction, right? I'm not saying that to be a part of any other group is bad. What I'm saying is that there will be times by the fact that we live in a fallen world, that being a part of any other group may draw you away from Christ. And so your dominant primary identity needs to be found in him and in his people. And I mean the capital C church, not your local church, not your denomination, not your leanings, not your perspective, but in the church founded by Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit that will stand against the attacks of Satan until the end of time. That's what I'm talking about. So when we talk today about group identity, this is what we mean. And we see how this plays out in our lives. I just heard this uh, the other day in our small group, but um, you know that old phrase, you know, uh, and you can insert whatever yours is here. But like, you can take, in my case, you can take the boy out of the South, but you can't take the South out of the boy, right? You could take, and we could go down the shore, I heard it just this week about Roslindale. <laughs> you know, and And there's this reality that once you have an identity formed, it's really hard to act outside of it. Right? And so, uh, you know, you, you find yourself doing things even when you're not with your group, that it's what your group does. You know what I mean? And so you think about how that's played out in your own life. You know, some people ask me, Um, where's your accent? You don't sound like you're from Memphis. I said, get me home for five minutes. And it comes right out. And then it lingers a while after I leave. And then it starts to fade. But, you know, it's in there. It's hard to root out. Not that I'm wanting to. It just happens. But it's hard to root those things out. You know, it's like um, when when you go to another country and you know that there's a certain way they do things, Like, uh, for example, driving on the left side of the road in London. But then when you're not thinking, you pull out into the right side of the road. That happened to me. Uh, It was a little scary. (laughs) It was very dangerous. Fortunately, no one else was in the car with me. But it's that type of thing. When When you're not focused on what you should be doing, you revert back to that way of doing things. Now, what are the identities that we carry we carry a lot of identities you know i'm a part of a family where you know and you think about your family growing up i'm a part of the family where when we get angry we yell at each other so then when you're not on guard and something happens out comes the torrent you now i'm a part of a family where uh when we hurt each other we isolate from ourselves so then when something negative happens then you just pull away or I'm a part of a group that if you say something about my brother, my fist is going into your face. And before you know it, you're in a fight. And that's not what the people of God would do, but that's what your, your family did. Or your group of friends. Or your whatever. Do you see how this works? And so it's very hard to root these things out. And in fact, one of the only ways... To stop behaving like that is to have another identity that's so strong that it overpowers the old one. And that's what we'll be talking about today is how do you have that kind of identity? So what is our identity? Well, the Bible says a whole lot about our identity in Christ. Our identity is the body of Christ as a people. Uh, 1 Peter 2, so if you have your Bibles, if you can't read that, pull it out. 1 Peter, Peter 2 is very much about who we are in christ and again i want you to notice that peter doesn't say this he doesn't say but you are a chosen person a royal priest he says you're a chosen people a royal priesthood he's not trying to give you an identity he's trying to give us an identity this is not just about who you are. It's about who we are. And a lot of times we get caught up in the personal. It happens in our worship music. It happens in our, in our practice. Uh, we're actually going to sing a song as we close today. And it's a beautiful song. And the only thing I don't like about it is that it says, I am who you say I am. I wish it said, we are who you say we are. Maybe we can work that in. Because the Bible is always telling us who we are. It's not just telling us, not telling me who I am. It's telling us who we are. And that's important. And we do often over individualize the scripture. And I understand sometimes, hey, put your name in this verse and pray that prayer over yourself. I get it. But also, it's a prayer for us, it's a truth for us. So Peter says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now think about what he's saying there for a second. He's saying, this is who you are, so this is what you do. Or let me put it more directly because in English, the singular and plural you is not very uh, clear. This is who we are, so this is what we do. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. So what we do is we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, which has built in it its own reality of who we are. We're a people who were in darkness, but we're in darkness no longer. We're the kind of people who've been transferred from one kingdom into a greater kingdom. Once you were not a people, now you are. The people of God and so really we have this big question if that's who we are then what is it like us to do and if you think about most of the scripture most of the scripture is either a story describing who we are and what we do or it's a teaching that usually tells us who we are first and then tells us what to do and sometimes we get very focused on the what to do that we forget to look at the who we are. And so often, for example, in the writings of Paul, he will say first who we are and then what we'll do. And we're going to look at uh, some of that in a moment. Now, the author of our book, uh, Pastor Michel, he looked at the Sermon on the Mount as an example. He says, what does the Sermon on the Mount tell us about who we are? We're just going to look at a couple of these. We are people who take God's commands seriously. That's what Jesus, that's one of the things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount is that he's saying, "You know, uh, uh, these things, they matter." We are a people who reconcile as quickly as possible. We're a people who are careful, careful to obey God in our sexuality, even with glances and thoughts. We are a people who remain faithful to our spouses. We are a people who keep our word and have no need to make oaths. We are a people who love our enemies and pray for them. We are a people who seek to be rewarded by God instead of by people. We are a people who forgive others because we have been forgiven so much by our Father. Now, this is really crucial. If you're being honest with yourself, how many of these are true of you as an individual right now? Or let me put it another way which of these have you broken in, in the last 48 hours? Because when I look at this list, I'm ashamed at how many of these I've broken in the last 48 hours. Definitely times when I didn't take the commands of God seriously. Didn't reconcile as quickly as possible. Last night I didn't reconcile as quickly as possible. I mean, these are things that, um, that so often don't mark us as people. People. But what we need to understand is this is, what, this is what it's like our people to do. This is what it's like the people of God to do. And what we, when we acknowledge that, when we recognize that, what we're doing is we're actually forming ourselves to think a certain way so that we can respond as our people respond. Now, how do we learn these things? Well, sometimes we just say things like this. You know, let's, can we do a couple of these together? Let's say it together. I'm going to say, we are a people who, and then we'll read these three. We are a people who love our enemies and pray for them. That's what it's like us to do. And so if you're ever in a moment where you're angry at someone, you can ask yourself, what do I need to do? What, is, what am I supposed to do here? Ah, I'm supposed to love them and pray for them. By the way, I was um, at a store which shall remain nameless a couple of weeks ago. Because we went to this store, and we've been literally looking for for like two years for some stools to go around our kitchen, the peninsula in our kitchen. And uh, Sonia found these stools at this unnamed store, and she called me. She said, hey, I found these stools. There's four of them. I want to get them. Should we get them? I said, yeah, you've been looking forever for these stools. Get them now. So she buys them, and they say, oh... So these three are under quarantine because they were returned. So because of coronavirus, you can take one home, but you can't take these three home. But we'll mark them, and we'll set them in the back for you, and you can come back next Thursday and pick them up. Great. Fantastic. Go back Thursday. Sorry, sir. None of these stools are here anymore. Somebody must have bought them. Okay say (laughs) what how did this happen you know and on now the reason i tell this story is because this we were sharing this story with sonia's sister and i just was really pleasantly surprised by her first question because if someone told you that story uh you might be inclined to say oh that's horrible those stupid people how could they have done that to you i'm so sorry uh you should sue them you should call it blah 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 right Or you might just say, "Oh, maybe you're, you know, you don't not a kind of person who stands up for yourself." Oh, I'm so sorry. That's sad. That makes me so sad. <laughs> what she said to us was, "Oh, I'm sorry. Did you handle yourself in a way that honored the Lord Jesus?" And I thought, that is exactly the relevant question. That is exactly the relevant question. Like we said, uh, you know, as believers in Christ Jesus, what is it like us to do? And also that idea of who we belong to has a direct impact on how we think and act. This is what she was getting at. And she hasn't read this book. This is just her natural, well, no, let me take that back. This is her trained way of responding to to difficult situations, is to ask herself and others, am I responding, did you respond in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I think the answer was yes, okay? But the point of the story really is that what if that's how we thought about every situation we were in first? And she did. She trained herself, or someone trained her to think that way first, this was her reaction, her gut reaction. Question, and I just thought that's really awesome. I want to have that kind of reaction when I hear something like this, or when it happens to me. And you know, again, I think the answer was yes. So I, that was pretty good. But what if we had that idea, that perspective? All right, let's do another one. We are a people who seek to be rewarded by God instead of by people. Man, correction, self-correction. Yeah, we are a people who forgive others because we have been forgiven so much by our Father. But Lord, what if my brother sins against me seven times? He says, you forgive him if he sins against you seven times seven, 70 times seven times. Because it's nothing compared to what the Father has done for you. Now, when we say these things, that's one way that we put in our head the reality, the truth of who we are in Christ. It also is really important. This is where this, one of these community aspects come in, is that we remind each other. That's what my sister-in-law was doing. We remind each other when we forget who we are. You know, there's, a, there's this wonderful... Um, you guys know I love Andrew Peterson, right? He's a songwriter. He's a fiction writer. Both in his fiction and in one of his songs, he has a character and then in the song himself. He talks about, when I forget my name, remind me. When I forget my name, remind me. And in the song, he's talking about love. That you know, He wants to be bound by love. And he says, but when I loose love's chains, bind me. And when I forget my name, remind me. And it's this beautiful image because there is a truth that when we are not acting like what it's like us to act, it's because we've forgotten who we are. And so we can remind each other. You know, so if I didn't respond well to the lady at the store, then my sister-in-law could say, remember, Stephen, we're a people who treat others kindly even when they mess up and do something that we don't like as God's dearly loved and chosen people. You know, or you know, and you got to be careful with your spouse. By the way, <laughs> you know, if, if why did you ah, remember, Hun? We're the kind of people who treat. You know, you got to be careful. I'm just saying. But we still need to do it. We still need to do it, and we need to receive it when people do it to us, because this is a huge thing. There's another way, which is that we see other people doing it well. You know, one of the things that they mention in the book, The Other Half of Church, is that when you enter into a circumstance that you're not expecting and you have this gut reaction or you have this visceral reaction, you don't have time to think, what am I going to do? I'm going to do this because Jesus said this. You don't have time for that. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, it's what we call preconscious thought. You are thinking about what to do before you're even aware of it. But what you do have time for in your head is an image to come up of someone doing it well. Because images come up instantaneously, essentially. One-sixth of a second, an image can come up in your head. And we've been talking, you know, the other half of church, what we're talking about is the other half of our brain. Our left brain has our conscious thought. Our right brain has our preconscious thought. Your right brain operates six cycles per second. Your left brain operates five cycles per second. So your right brain is always ahead of your left brain. And that's why you can't think about what your right, you're not conscious of what your right brain is doing because it's going too fast. But your right brain can pull up an image in a sixth of a second and remind you who you are, who you belong to, and what you ought to do. You need people in your life who are modeling for you the character of Christ. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Whatever you see me do, you do. Oh, that we would be the kind of people who could say that. But just as importantly, oh, that we would find the people who that's true of so we can watch them, so we can follow them, so we can imitate them. It's so important. And that's why, that's why we need to be around a lot of different types of people. People who are further along than we are. People who are not as far along as we are so they can watch us. Right? This is so important. Because here's the thing. There is this part of our brain that's telling us six times a second who we are and who we belong to. And it tells us six times a second how our people act in this moment. it's a ridiculous movie it wasn't good but I've seen it way too many times Crocodile Dundee you can take the boy out of the outback but you can't take the outback out of the boy man he you know he's getting mugged by this guy in New York City but he's not scared you call that a knife this is a knife right? he's not scared he knows how to respond it's instinctual because he knows what it's like his people to do. They don't back down. Right? It's just silly stuff like that, but it's so true. It's so true. It's an automatic response to the situation around you. And I have no idea why I thought of Crocodile Dundee right now. But it just was there. My right brain, six times a second, was cycling through images of whatever his name was. What was his name? Now I need to know. Nobody? Nobody. Ah, oh, it's too bad. So then, what do we need? How do we do this? Well, we do, need, we do need those reminders because as we've been learning, as you think these truths, you're actually creating a neural pathway in your brain. And as you think it again and again and again and you say it and you see it and you try it, then that neural pathway gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's kind of like this. You think of like a road, a little country road with ruts and bumps and rocks. You can travel down that road, but it's hard work. And then you think of an interstate highway with six lanes and no traffic on it. Man, you can fly down that road. So you want to create an interstate traffic lane for your thoughts about what it's like the people of God to do and you want to have little rutted, rocky country roads about what it's like my family to do or what it's like uh, you know, my non-believing friends that I grew up with to do. Because those things are still there, but you, you want those things to be small and difficult to go down and you want the things of God to be large and easy to travel. And you kind of think of it like this. Are you guys familiar with electricity? You know how you have an electrical circuit and... Um, Have you seen the people who stand in those massive cages and they have the electricity shooting through them and they grab the cage and they get electrocuted, right? No, they don't get electrocuted. Why not? Because the metal cage is an easier pathway for the electricity. It has less resistance than your body. So the electricity doesn't want to travel through your body because it's harder than traveling through the cage. That's what we're talking about. You want your thoughts to most easily travel down the way of Jesus Christ. And so they'll resist traveling down these difficult roads of your past. Your old character. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So this is the work that everyone has to do. So we need these reminders. So in our groups this week, if you guys are in a group, hopefully you did this. In our group this week, we were looking at a passage of Scripture From, was it from Corinthians? No. Now I don't remember where it was. Colossians. And we looked at this passage of Scripture and we said, we're going to create an identity statement for ourselves around this passage of Scripture. And this is what we came up with. Maybe we can say it together because, again, it's good to practice. As God's people, we aspire to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient at all times Because we are holy and dearly loved. How's that for an identity statement? Another group came up with this. Let's say it together. Our desire is to have our group be a safe place where we can share joys, sorrows, and trials with no judgment and where we can grow individually as well as help others grow in the love and joy of Jesus Christ. What an identity statement. Here's some from the book. Again, let's do it together. We are a people who would rather listen than speak. Oh my goodness. Ah. May it be so. We are a people who share each other's pain even when we've caused it. Oh. Oh my goodness, that hurts even more. We are a people who remind each other who we really are whenever we forget. My goodness. What would it be like if these increasingly became true about you? How would that feel? How would your life be different? Man, my life would be so different if these things were true about me. So different. I would be so much happier. I would have so much more... um, uh, opportunities for joy for connecting with others for you know just go down the list of things that would be better i i would have more time i mean do any of you waste time getting in arguments with somebody okay i I won't say her name (laughs) i get i waste so much time getting in in conflict because because i'm not quick to reconcile or because i don't want to listen more than i talk or because i'm not willing to share in someone else's pain even when i've caused it that's a hard one man why'd you have to put that one in there god you know these things they they're life transforming all right so we're going to do one together all right here's the bible verse ephesians 5:10 and 11 and we're actually going to read 12 as well in a moment Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, help us craft an identity statement about this. Any takers? M-hmm. It's that simple. And you could do it a hundred ways. You could say we are a people who stand against the devil's schemes in the full armor of God. But let's just do it the way Paul did. We are a people who, we're just going to read, basically we're going to read the last, that verse 11, put on the full armor of God. We are a people who put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. It's pretty simple, right? Today, just now, you put a little groove in your brain that says that you're this kind of person? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How might you turn this into an identity statement? And again, it can be really simple. You don't have to have all those words in there. Anyone? Any brave soul? fantastic it's that easy now what i'm going to suggest is let's make it really simple so we can remember it and do it again what if we just say something like this we are a people who stand firm against the evil forces of the world now nothing wrong at all with the way esther did it but that's one you can remember right we are a people who stand firm against the evil forces of this world can we say that together we are a people who stand firm against the evil forces in this world, and we might say, more than this world, but I, yeah, I think you. So if that's who we are. If that's what it's like us to do, then that's going to prompt us to be courageous when we face evil forces. And my friends, you are facing evil forces tomorrow. You are, you are going to face evil forces tomorrow, maybe even today. Hopefully not right now. <laughs> but this is, this is the reality. And then we need to be prepared ahead of time to respond appropriately when that, when that evil comes. So this is, this is my takeaway for today. Look, we need to have the character of Jesus Christ. That, that's just a given. God says it's our destiny. Romans 8, 29 uh, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's just our. That's where we're going. That's the end goal, not just the goal. That is our destination. It is happening. So how do, we, how do we move in that direction right now? Well, we need to repeatedly remind ourselves and each other who we are, and that helps build the character we need to respond well before we even have time to think about what we need to do. Have you guys seen the video of the, the reporter who's interviewing a baseball player? And in the background, there's guys hitting batting practice. All of a sudden, a guy hits the ball. It soars over, and you watch it coming right towards the camera, and it's going to hit the lady doing the interview. And the baseball player goes and catches the ball right in front of her face. Aren't you glad that he had built the reflexes? Or isn't she glad that he had built the reflexes to do that without thinking about it? That's how you can respond to the things that you face in the world the way Jesus did, is that you build those reflexes. It's a reflex. I I can't stress this enough. You don't have time to think about how to respond. A WWJD bracelet will not cut it. You need the reflexes, you need the reflexes of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. So we need to repeatedly remind ourselves and each other who we are because that helps build the character we need to respond well before we even have time to think about it. Church, let's pray over this. And then let's sing that song that has an I in it that we're going to make it a we. God, we are are in need of new reflexes. We're in need of new responses. Lord, we have triggers that need to result in a different outcome. And God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the willingness to do regular work, repetition whatever the things that it takes to build reflexes in any other area of life lord we want to do those things to help build those reflexes now so that our reflexes are the same as the ones of jesus or we want to have that kind of um, ability lord to respond the way that you would respond if you were in our shoes Lord, help us to be willing not to just try harder, but to change tactics and to utilize this insight that we've been talking about the last few weeks. Lord, through building joy, through growing in love for one another, through fostering a stronger identity with the body of Christ, And what we'll look at next week, which is being willing to give and receive correction, Lord, that we would be building those reflexes, building those uh, automatic responses so that we can indeed honor you with the way we respond to the things that happen in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.